Hey everyone, and welcome back to episode 10 of Quick Cuts, a plastic surgery podcast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing breast augmentation, so let's get started. And we'll start today's episode by jumping right into the evaluation and management of the breast augmentation patient. When taking a history, important considerations include any prior or planned pregnancy and breastfeeding, any prior breast surgeries, and any personal or family history of breast cancer. Women over 40 should have a baseline screening mammogram or be up to date on their recommended screening requirements. In addition to taking a general medical history, it's important to understand the patient's goals for surgery. Specifically, it's important to determine the patient's desired breast size. Although patients will commonly use cup size to describe their goals, cup sizes may vary significantly between brands and aren't always an accurate marker for their required implant size. A more accurate means of determining patient expectations may include asking the patient to provide photographs of women with their desired breast size, who also share a similar body habitus with the patient. There are also some techniques that you may use during the preoperative visit to guide selection of implant size. These include taking standardized breast measurements, using external sizers in a bra, and using three-dimensional breast imaging technology. The physical exam should also assess baseline breast shape, size, and skin envelope. A pinch test is a common method used to assess the thickness of the skin envelope. Asymmetry of the breasts or nipples should also be documented, along with any underlying chest wall abnormalities. A breast exam should also be performed to assess for masses or skin changes that would prompt further workup prior to proceeding with surgery. As you discuss surgery with the patient during their visit, it's important that you're able to discuss the differences between the various types of implants. Implants can have a saline or silicone fill, a smooth or textured surface, and can be round or teardrop shaped, which is often referred to as anatomic. Selecting implant fill and shape to optimize aesthetic outcomes is a nuanced decision and can vary significantly depending on individual surgeon preferences. There are some non-aesthetic factors, however, that should also play a role in decision making. An important difference between saline and silicone relates to detecting rupture and the need for long-term monitoring. While the rupture of saline implants will be clinically obvious, rupture of silicone implants may not be readily apparent. For silicone implants, MRI is the gold standard of detecting rupture. The current FDA recommendations for surveillance of silicone implants is to perform MRI five to six years after initial placement, followed by every two to three years thereafter. Another factor that may influence the choice of implant fill relates to patient age. Currently, saline implants are FDA-approved for patients 18 years and older, while silicone implants are only approved for patients 22 years and older. In regards to surface texture, while texturing of the implant surface serves to reduce movement and malposition of the implant once it's placed, something that's more beneficial in shaped implants, it's important to note that recent evidence correlates textured implants with an increased risk of anaplastic large cell lymphoma. In addition to implant selection, your preoperative conversation should also include a discussion of breast cancer screening. It's important to counsel your patient that implants have not been shown to delay detection of breast cancer. Additionally, for patients with plans for future pregnancy, it's important to counsel them that breastfeeding is safe with implants in place. In regards to surgery, there are a variety of techniques described for breast augmentation. Implants can be placed in a submuscular, subglandular, subfascial, or dual-plane pocket. Incision placement includes periareolar, inframammary, axillary, and transumbilical. Composite breast augmentation, including fat grafting to supplement the augmentation, has also been described. In regards to complications, a common and troublesome complication of breast augmentation is capsular contracture. 
The most common system used to classify capsular contracture is the Baker classification. In this classification scheme, type 1 represents a subclinical capsule, type 2 represents a slightly firm breast with no changes in appearance, type 3 is a firm breast with visible abnormalities, and type 4 is a hard breast with visible changes that is painful to the patient. The most reliable treatment of capsular contracture is to replace the implant, placing the new implant in a different plane. In regards to reducing the risk of developing capsular contracture, the use of an inframammary incision and submuscular placement of the implant have both been associated with decreased risk. Although rare, another important complication of breast augmentation is anaplastic large cell lymphoma, or ALCL. ALCL most often presents as a late-onset seroma. For this reason, all patients presenting at least a year from surgery with a seroma should have fluid aspirated and sent for analysis. Fluid studies should include cytology and CD30 immunohistochemistry. If fluid studies confirm ALCL, oncological referral and staging workup should be pursued. Treatment includes implant removal and total capsulectomy, with adjuvant chemotherapy or radiotherapy reserved only for advanced or inoperable disease. Additional complications for breast augmentation include, but are not limited to, the need for secondary revisions, infection, rupture, and nonspecific inflammatory symptoms which are collectively being referred to as breast implant illness. And with that, we'll end our discussion on breast augmentation. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Feel free to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. As always, you can send questions, suggestions, or feedback to jakemarksmd at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at jakemarksmd. Thanks for listening. See you next time.